What's cracking, lovely people? Welcome back to the Big Feed Up HQ podcast, a podcast about nutrition, movement, outdoor experiences. I'm your host, as always, Matt Gardner. I'm a nutritional therapist by trade. I hope this finds you well. And this show is supported by 33 Fuel, who produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products. Everything you need alongside a discount code for their products are in the show notes. Now, over the last few episodes, you've probably noticed that I've brought in uh, nutritionists, I've brought in uh, coaches. So we spoke to a nutritional therapist. In the past, I've had a registered nutritionist on, uh, Jenny. So that was a really interesting conversation. I'll put that in the show notes. Today, we're moving more to the clinical side. And uh, I've got a lady on the show that I've been following on Instagram for a, a good few years. Um, similar to me, she posts her food, loves her eats. Um, but the day job is as a dietitian, so I'm really excited to get into things. So, um, Fran, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. No, you're really welcome, and it'll be it'll be great to get into the ins and outs of your role and things. But firstly, you know, look, how are you? Where are you in the lockdown, and and how have things kind of changed for you over the last couple of months? Yeah, um, so I'm all right. I think if you'd have asked me this question a few weeks ago, I'd have told you not to ask um at the moment life has actually pretty much settled down we've got our daily routine we've decided which dietitians are working on the covid wards which ones are on what we call the green wards the safe wards um life has changed pretty dramatically actually um originally we were supposed to be rotating so i was supposed to move from a stroke rotation to a surgical rotation what's ended up happening is i've ended up moving <laughs> to a all hospital covid facing rotation which in itself has provided a few challenges, but actually it's been really rewarding. Um, you kind of think COVID wards are quite morbid, but actually there's a lot of progress and a lot of happy nuts on there as well that kind of I want to shout about as well. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, look, at the end of the day, we, we see statistics, but it's normal people, isn't it? Going going through illness and coming in and obviously you're yeah. there and you're a huge you're a huge point of call for support and things. And, you know, before we get into exactly what you do, why did you get into um, dietetics and obviously study and then, um, you know, become a, a clinician and a, and a, and a dietitian? Um, I think for me, I always wanted to work in the NHS. I knew I'm quite a caring person. I always knew I wanted something people based. I did my undergrad in nutrition and wasn't really sure where I wanted to take my life. Um, working and kind of living in Wrexham, there's not loads of opportunities around here for just nutrition-based jobs unless you want to work in, say, a factory. So I always knew I wanted to do something more clinical with my degree, so then decided to go on to do postgrad dietetics. And that's kind of where I've ended up, and I'm loving it. It's all a bit mad, but I, I absolutely love it. I don't think I'd change it at all. Oh, that's amazing. Good. So it's a kind of like bit of an organic process. Obviously, you had the interest in terms of you wanting to work in the NHS and you had that foundation um, of information, research, you know, um, experience, course, whatever you want to call it through your undergrads. So what what does yeah, is the yeah. is the postgrad a combination of obviously, you know, learning, learning about the evidence base and then getting on the wards and things like that? How does that work? You know, they have to do loads of different modules. Some of them are very similar to a nutrition degree. Um, so actually, I covered some of my modules twice at both undergrad and postgrad, which was really convenient. Um, but most of the learning experiences are ward-based. 
So as part of a postgrad placement or all the undergrad dietetics, for example, you will do three separate placements. Um, you do your A placement, which is just shadowing over four weeks, and then you do your B and your C, which is 12 weeks at different trusts, getting loads of hands-on experience, learning how to communicate with patients, um, how to actually be a dietitian, what the paperwork is all about, what the job role is all about. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much the basis, but also it's all evidence-based as well. So you've got your exams in with that, but you've also got your practical, what they call OSCEs, um, which is a bit like quite to get into the swing of things as a student dietitian, and you're doing them pretty much every other week. So second nature. Yeah, and in terms of obviously back end of the paperwork and all that kind of thing, how much of it is 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 still written, and um, you know how much of it is digital based, and then who actually sees it? Is it the, you know, it's it's obviously a multidisciplinary team there. You've got the doctors, the nurses, you've got all of the consultants. Like how how does that work? I know maybe that's a bit dry, but then obviously people, I think it's important to kind of understand the process of exactly what you do and how you communicate with the yeah. with the rest of the team. Yeah, so it's completely different depending on what trust you're at. So at my old trust, our therapy notes were all online, um, whereas now I'm completely paper-based, so it's kind of like stepping back a bit. Um, in regards to working as part of an MDT, what we tend to do is we get our referral from the nurses, so we train the nurses on how to initiate that referral and when is appropriate or not. We then go and we do our, our assessment um, and our notes are all written at the moment in the medical notes. So it can be quite hard on the old uh, wrist at the end of the day because you're a bit knackered after seeing nine or ten patients. But uh, we communicate that across the board to doctors, nurses. Um, we've got a really good relationship with speech and language therapy. I don't think people realise how much speech and language work with dietitians, but pretty much we're on the phone to them all day asking them, have you done a swallow assessment on said person? Are they going to go nil by mouth? Do they need an NG? Are they for pureed diet? Are they texture modified fluids? So our, our day is pretty much speaking to all the members of staff, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, probably more so than we speak to the patients, but there you have it. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Because obviously there's so many moving parts and I think it's so important that you highlighted speech therapy. Um, one of my, well, probably, yeah, my best mate's um, wife is a speech therapist. She's coming on 10 years. And, um, wow, brilliant job. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's eye-opening, obviously, how they're, they're supporting things at the moment, especially, like you said, we'll come on to COVID. But it's, um, yeah, it's it's a profession that people don't don't really know a lot about. But then, obviously, when someone explains to be honest to with it, you, Matt, I didn't know much about it at all. I always thought speech therapy was building up communication skills, especially in children. But when I started working as a dietitian and I realised they did dysphagia and swallow assessments, it kind of blows your mind as to what they actually know. I got the opportunity to shadow one, actually, for a full day, and it was brilliant. And actually, I was a bit jealous because I really loved her job role, and I thought, oh, I could do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because obviously, like you said, it comes down to um, like so many moving parts around... Uh, I assume the mouth uh, around breathing and especially with food and things like that and what they're taking in you can obviously go into it a bit more but if it's tube based like you yeah. said different textures um, yeah that is absolutely fascinating so I think no we've already got off to a good start because um, you know I think people get decision fatigue around what a nutritionist is and does and I think it's really clear yeah. already that you know your role as a dietitian in in a clinical setting and it, obviously like you said it varies in terms of the trusts but people can kind of understand there that you're you're hugely supportive in the treatment phase aren't you really that's the plan <laughs> yeah 
So over the nine months, um, it's obviously quite hard maybe to crunch it down in a quick chat like this. But what were some of the, the meaningful experiences you've had? And then obviously it'll be cool in the next one. Maybe that's not the right term, but it'll be interesting in the next um, phase of the chat to maybe go into how things have changed in, in the last couple of months. But for your first kind of half a year on the job, um, how, how did you find that? And, and you know, what, what worked really well? So I think if you ask any newly qualified member of the NHS team, the first six months is really difficult because you're just trying to get to grips with how the system works, who you're talking to, what the consultants' names are, what sorts of feeds are available, um, especially for me because I moved trust. So I went from a contract trust with Nutritia to a contract trust with Abbott. So I've gone from four to six Ensures. Um, Gevity, Nutrison, you name it, all of the different products. That was that was difficult to get my head around. Um, but I think, you know, the main thing that you learn is those people skills. And that's never going to leave you. I mean, I worked as a waitress for years prior to actually qualifying. So I thought prior to all of this, that I actually had really good communication skills. But it's not until you come across a stroke patient that's really really struggling post-stroke with the communication and they've got all of those barriers but you know when you're talking to them that they know what they want to say and they're trying to get that out and it's so so rewarding when you actually get to that point where you can communicate with them effectively and you can kind of meet that middle ground and even better when they're actually taking the nutritional supplements and they're managing 50 percent or more of their diet and they're really progressing well that's Um, fantastic i think the main thing that I've learned in six months is communication, mainly with patients, um, more difficult patients, but obviously with the MDT as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and obviously it varies between patients, but say if you take some of the straight patients, for example, um, how much time do you get when you go in there and obviously administer your, uh, you know, your nutritional protocols? It, obviously you have to you have to speak to them to say to take certain kind of uh, symptom notes and things like that and obviously explain why they're taking what they're taking um but like yeah. you said if you're seeing nine ten patients a day plus liaising with other staff members like what does it actually yeah. look like when you you know when you walk in the room and then obviously are you are you equipped with different things are there are there are there kind of uh you know foods and substances and supplements left at all in in some of these rooms like how does it all work in there Yeah, so um, I'd like to say that it's a bit more glamorous than it actually is. The basis of my assessment is sitting there with a big pile of medical notes in front of me, seeing what every single member of staff has said up until that point, just so that I've got a really clear image before going in to assess the patient. Um, The actual assessment is kind of the fun bit. It takes 10 to 15 minutes, but sometimes you can have a particularly chatty patient. And actually, I really enjoy that, you know, where you accidentally stay in the room for up to half an hour. Oops. Um, But... It's really nice because you go in and you, the emphasis is you look at weight history, you look at diet history prior to admission, you look at what their diet is now, um, you kind of look at those barriers to why their diet is what, what it is. So, for example, dementia patients, you can't actually assess all of that information, you have to use the MDT to assess that. But some patients can literally say things out of the blue, like, you know, I asked a bloke this morning, what did you have for breakfast? And he said, I had steak, it was well done. Um, and I knew that wasn't right, but it was nice because you still get that emphasis from the assessment that this bloke actually likes steak and yeah. there is still bits of him that are there. But with the stroke patients, it's more so, you know, what are you managing? Is it difficult when you eat that food? Mm. You feel like you're coughing on it when you eat it. Have speech and language been to see you? So things like that to get an idea. 
but also you've got to get an idea in that assessment of how they feel about their weight. Um, so a lot of patients will have come in and potentially lost weight during their admission. Some will feel really quite upset about that, whereas others, you can ask them and they're very happy that they've lost the weight, um, but not necessarily always good. You know, when you explain to them that you've lost muscle mass and we need to be increasing your intake to get that protein stores back up, sometimes that's, that's a really difficult conversation to have. Mm. But regarding props, I don't really, I don't carry around like plastic fruit or anything exciting. Mm. Um, it's more so just if I think a patient needs, say, particular information, I'll give it to them verbally and I'll leave them a booklet with that information. Or if I think a patient needs nutritional supplements, um, nine times out of 10, they'll be available on the ward. So I'll go and get them and we'll try the patient with them to see if they like the flavours. Yeah. Um, and we'll work our assessment around that. Yeah, yeah. Because I bet, obviously, um, like you said, there's preferences, but then there's needs and musts and, um, you know, people are going to get palate fatigue over certain things. But then that, you know, that's where your experience comes in, isn't it? How to kind of manage the patient. But then also just pick up on body language, uh, morale, all those things. And, you know, it's interesting, like... I can't obviously compare what I do to, to what to, to what you do, but I find that when I you know when I do walk to a small waiting room and then they come in and we sit down, you know I am looking at even just stepping up, walking over, sitting down, facial expressions, you know little things like that. I was discussing it on a chat with someone, Maybe. um, uh, one of the podcasts I did I did the other day. You know we're we're missing that as as you know the virtual stuff is amazing and it's great to stay connected and continue to work and earn a living, but you do you do miss on cues whereas obviously you you guys are getting all of those cues still you're still going in but it's like you said it's hectic and there's a lot of moving parts and obviously yeah. things have you know things have changed massively um massively yeah and i completely agree on the virtual side of things i do a weekly clinic and it's gone from being able to see my patients face to face to having a 15 minute phone call and it's just not the same especially patients that are at the lower end of the bmi that you want to get weighed and they haven't got scales at home and you can't tell them to go out and buy scales because they're high risk yeah. groups and you don't want to advocate, you know, that unessential un un exposure, I suppose. So, yeah, I completely agree with the challenges of virtual clinics There's pros, but there's certainly a lot of cons in with that as well. Yeah. So is that are they your outpatients? So they're, they're obviously they're home, but they check in with you regarding obviously what, yeah. what you've agreed and, and, and what's appropriate for, for, for their yeah. care. Yeah, so oh. each dietitian has an allocated outpatient clinic dependent on what type of patient groups you have. So because I'm a band five dietitian, I've got a very generic outpatient group um, that I see as part of my clinics. So I see type two diabetes, I see weight management, um, so patients that are obese that are looking to lose weight. I see nutrition support, which means people that need to gain weight or weight maintenance. And I also see the odd kind of first line IBS in with that, but I also see newly diagnosed celiac disease. So it wow. can provide a, a lot of variety, but it's also quite difficult to do over the phone, some of them. Oh yeah, 100%. And then and then the, the, the bands, is that obviously around uh, experience and additional qualifications? So are they yeah, then, uh, or, or obviously do you specialise in things over the years, like your outpatient um, roster, if that's, you know, that's maybe not the best word, but that, that will yeah. change you know, that will change depending on uh, experience level and, and uh, potentially, you know, your, yeah. your skill set. Is that correct? Yeah, completely. So, for example, our band six gastro dietitians, they have, well, both of them, they've been down to King's in London and they've done the low FODMAP training. So they're able to provide that specialist service as part of their clinics. 
or for example, the Bansic Surgical Clinics, both of those dietitians have got loads of experience on critical care mm. um, and they've got experience in surgical, you know, bowel resections and things like that. So they can provide that more specialist advice wow. um, than somebody like me that's got less less experience in those areas. Yeah, you'll learn and grow into it though. And like, you know, the FODMAP diet, yeah. obviously there's just you know there's a lot that goes into that and if people haven't heard anything about that before I'll put a link into the show notes and it's something that I think it's outside of outside of maybe a clinical setting there you know there's some people I talk to that have found it read about it tried a few things but obviously from a therapeutic standpoint and actually doing it correctly over three months you know there's a lot that goes into it isn't there so obviously you need you need specialist care um and yeah you 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 know you need you need the right patient kind of clinician relationship there too because elimination diets yeah it goes without saying it's uh yeah you need a professional behind that 100 percent. definitely do yeah i mean i'm not an expert in low fob at all and i've had a good flick through and i've sat in and shadowed a few of those clinics and they are so difficult and yeah you really get a feel for how hard it is for those patients but wow people really know their stuff when it comes to low fodmap it's really impressive yeah it's so tough it's so tough because people can be sitting there on on the onset and listening but they're just you know you just don't know what someone's going through in terms of their symptoms with, with with the gut and obviously you probably see far more severe cases but with when people that come in and they're a bit uncomfortable and, and they maybe see me or some of my colleagues and things you know it's hard to get into their shoes and when you're describing things and there's a you know a huge mindset that plays into that too and i think it's uh yeah, there's a lot more people coming forward and and discussing these things, but then yeah, there's a lot of traps people can fall into, and obviously as as the industry grows, again there's a lot of people kind of pushing certain ways of eating, and and you know it can yeah. become problematic. So um, it's really good Completely. to hear that you obviously you know at your level you've got you know you've got professional care, and I think that's so important for the listener to to hear you know at at the kind of dietetics level how everything's regulated and you know people that follow these diets they they do need to do them because obviously they're they're very unwell yeah yeah completely and i think the media plays a really hard part in our role regarding mixed information we get so many patients that come in of unnecessarily exclude food you just broke up a little bit there fran but i think you're saying um obviously the media plays a you know plays a role and and sometimes it's problematic because obviously people come in and they get a lot of decision fatigue and mixed messages so um you know hopefully you're there to signpost them in the right direction completely yeah completely and that's that's the plan of action <laughs> yeah yeah cool and i think be- before i ask you about your food environment your instagram some of your interests obviously outside of work it'd be cool to touch on because obviously you said um with your outpatients you touch on some things around type 2 diabetes be interesting for the listeners to hear a little bit about that so is that obviously um once once your patients leave i assume their their blood sugar control is 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 better it's obviously not perfect but then is it conversations around their testing your reviewing their their sugar levels you know before meals after meals you're having conversations around what they're consuming through the day it'd be cool to kind of walk the listeners through that because um yeah people that obviously don't have that issue they eat and and um you know our bodies 
do what it needs to do. Yes, we have changes in energy levels, but, you know, a lot of us are obviously built to cope with that. So it'd be interesting to hear a bit about that because obviously yeah. you're, wor- you're working with people that that system's dysregulated. Yeah, um, so I think it completely depends on the patient. I see type 2s that have been discharged from hospital that are actually underweight. So we're telling them not to have a massive focus on their blood sugars because we need to get their weight back up to a healthy level before we have a look at sugars and healthy eating and things like that. Wow. But then you see the opposite end of the spectrum where you've got patients that come in that are overweight and they they don't really understand diabetes. But I, I feel like the media play a big role in that where they just see it as, oh, it's diabetes, it's just another disease. And we have to explain, you know, the complications of long-term bad management on blood sugar control. Um, And we have to explain what carbohydrates are, why they're important, different types of carbohydrates. And that actually they're not the enemy as well, because we get a lot of mixed messages of people that think, oh, I've got diabetes. I need to completely exclude carbohydrates. Mm. So if you're going to learn anything from this podcast, learn that carbohydrates are not the enemy, uh, but to choose the whole grain varieties instead. Yeah. Yeah, I completely um, agree. In regards I completely to agree. testing blood sugars as well, we do encourage patients to be regularly checking their blood sugars if appropriate via the GP. Um, it might not necessarily be. So say a patient's HbA1c, which is the um, glycated hemoglobin that we measure over a few months yeah. uh, to give an indication of general blood sugar levels. So the HbA1c is is a bit high, but not too high. The the GP won't necessarily get them to monitor their blood sugars. It will just be lifestyle control. So we'd be talking about moderate intensity exercise, you know, feeling a bit hot under the collar when you're exercising. Yeah. Uh, we'd be talking about healthy eating and kind of dissolving those mixed messages, like I can't have fruit, for example. Uh, yeah. So get rid of those messages as well as part of that assessment. <laughs> yeah, cool. Do you have it? Do you have any experience using um, like glucometers with patients, or do you? Uh, I've heard some some of these kind of constant glucose monitors that patients can wear are filtering into the NHS. Obviously, they're specialist bits yeah, of kit. Are. But do you, do you come across that, or is it still very much, um, you know, that's reserved for a, for a small kind of patient base? So I haven't seen it yet. However, uh, when I was on my B placement as part of my student training in Manchester, they were rolling those out. So something called a Freestyle Libre. And it was just a device on the back of um, a patient's arm, normally a type 1 diabetic patient because they are quite expensive, um, or type 2 that are on insulin. And patients would scan them and it would come up on their phone or on an app to say what their blood sugars were and what what the trend of the sugars were. Um, So that is something that is emerging in the NHS and that is really exciting, but also it's quite expensive. So it's only appropriate for patients that are going to benefit from that. Yeah, it's so good to hear. Oh, interesting. I suppose it's just watch this space, isn't it? Because like you said, there's, there's you know, yes. priorities in other areas at the moment. But I think, um, you know, diabetes and, and um, you know, these kind of like other associate issues with cardiovascular disease and things, these bits of kit could be game changers. You know, that goes without saying in the future. Definitely. But yeah, interesting. Oh, man, cool. Well, look, you know, you, you've basically given us a rundown of exactly what you do over 20 minutes. So I, I'm really impressed and you haven't even taken a breath. But I think, you know, outside of work, obviously, you're passionate, um, you know, you're 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 uh, almost a year into the role um, when you come out of that. And that's how I found you. You know, you're 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 obviously uh, cooking, um, enjoying eating and um, posting food on Instagram. Um, how did you kind of get into into doing that? And, um, you know, does that does that kind of give you a bit of fulfillment and you recharge your batteries when you're at home doing those kind of things? Yeah. So um, 
how I got into it is a bit strange. Basically, I used to post a lot of food pictures on my personal Instagram, and I think I was just winding everybody up. Um, <laughs> you know, when everybody else is posting pictures of their kids or the, the nice scenery, and Fran is just posting a photo of a dinner. Um, so I decided to just swap it over and just create a food account so that I had somewhere to post them. Uh, what it ended up then becoming is I got to link, because at the time I was a third-year nutrition student, yeah. um, so I got to link with those, loads of other um, people that were studying nutrition. And then I've taken it from there, and it's kind of just followed my journey through the last few years, qualifying as a dietitian and where I've gone with that. But yeah, I do get a sense of satisfaction of making a healthy meal and posting it and getting to share that healthy eating isn't actually boring and that yeah. look how, how colourful my plates are, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. You know, I'm exactly the same. And I think we share those values and um, it's, you know, it's obviously what drew me to, um, you know, following your content and then wanting to have a chat. And it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. And it gives people ideas. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, it's quick. And, and the good thing is with that platform, if people don't want to see what we're having for dinner, you know, they don't have to follow it. Whereas if they do, you can kind of tell that people are interested yeah. and, and you can be quite dynamic and, and, and you can think, actually, maybe I'll cook this and this might be a nice post or I might add a quick story to do this. So it's just it's just fun to be creative and it takes the pressure yeah, definitely, off. Definitely. Yeah, it takes the pressure off because obviously you're. Um, yeah, no, it does. Definitely. You're in you're you're in it obviously um you're you're far busier than me you've got obviously a complete different patient uh and and kind of work setup but I find that when I'm when I'm doing stuff on my Instagram and things I quite like to make it um enjoyable easy fun for people and I'm not kind of preaching the nutrition because obviously I'm not saying we Amen. preach nutrition during the day but you know our, our day jobs are to kind of inform educate you're obviously treating and caring so you don't necessarily want to have to push that message when you're not at work so it's it's a nice way to balance things out I find yeah definitely it's a bit of a wind down isn't it but also I use it as well to find out what's going on so if there's been a recent paper that's been published that people don't agree with I quite like to jump on it on Twitter or Instagram because I can I can then have a look and find my own opinion on said paper yeah so what are you into obviously outside of work if you're trying to read around nutrition research what what kind of um things are you you know you falling into what kind of rabbit holes are you going down and, and research you're looking at uh, so a bit of everything, to be honest. Um, I think at the moment, my favourite thing to be looking at is gastro-y sort of stuff. Um, so anything that's liquid diet related, I'm super interested in. I actually did a liquid diet earlier for the first time. So it's, it links in with what I'm doing at work more than anything. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's a really, really good experience. Um, in regards to other readings, so I did a little bit on diabetes recently just because I had a complex type 1 slash type 2 they weren't quite sure i think it was pancreatic failure so actually the the diagnosis would be a type three and with that i had one of those in my clinic so yeah. i did a bit of reading regarding that i found that really rewarding wow um, but i think the main thing is when you're a dietitian is just to keep your mind open as to what's out there um and always take research with a pinch of salt depending on where it's come from as well <laughs> yeah definitely oh that's so good to hear fantastic yeah, the liquid diet, did you do that? Was that for a week, two weeks, or was that for a handful of days? So I've got a patient on the ward at the moment that is newly diagnosed Crohn's disease, and she's been following something called um, a low-residue, low-fibre diet for the last two weeks, and it's not given her any symptom improvement. So after consulting with one of my senior colleagues, we've decided to put her on a liquid diet for a minimum of two weeks. Yeah. Um, the idea of that is to give bowel rest, um, hopefully to 
improve her symptoms that she's got at the moment. Um, it's a minimum of two weeks, but they can lead up to six six to eight weeks, depending on whether it's actually improving a patient's symptoms. Oh. And then you would start to wean diet back in slowly. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Is she is 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 that a young is that a young lady you're working with, or is that someone, um, uh, you know, middle age, old, older? What you know, what's what's her age? It's actually it's um it's the older um you tend to find a lot of the Crohn's patients are young mm. um but this lady's in the 70s so oh, wow. um, quite an unusual patient group really for newly diagnosed Crohn's but really really nice lady really happy actually that I was able to help her oh man that's so good oh that's awesome look it's um you know I've lucky to kind of grab some of your time on a Friday so I think I'll um you know I'll let you go and enjoy your 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 precious time off but if people um want to want to follow you want to keep in touch want to understand more obviously about um the the you know dietitians and um, the BDA and things where can people go to keep in touch with all of that so I'd say if you're um looking for specific advice First off, go to your GP. Don't be asking your neighbours as to what they've been doing. Um, have a look on the BDA on the food fact sheets. There's loads of different conditions, whether it be healthy eating, whether it be first-line IBS advice, uh, whether it be what to do if you've got diabetes. So BDA food facts, they're really, really good. I'd direct anybody to them, even if it's just a bit of CPD, a bit of research for yourself. Um, I'd also encourage you to have a look at social media platforms. You know, who are you following? Is it evidence-based? Are they paid advertisements for things that you've never heard of before? Um, and have a look. Are they registered? You know, are they registered with um, a nutrition or a dietetic title? And have they got a degree behind that to back up their evidence? Yeah, perfect. Oh, cool. And what's your handle on Instagram for the foodie uh, uh, listeners? Yes, it's at Fran Nutrition amazing oh Fran that's so good it's um yeah it's, it's great to get you on and I've been following you for a while I'm so glad we managed to have a chat um yeah I know, no, I've enjoyed this thank you so much I know we I know we didn't get into exactly how manic it's been um around the wards and stuff during during the time with Covid and things but obviously it sounds like you take each day as it comes anyway and you've kind of given us a snapshot into what you do with patients day in day out so I assume you know it's 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 very similar but you just have to be far more aware of obviously what what you're wearing and where you are in the hospitals and things like that I assume yeah completely it's a bit more PPE a lot of face masks a lot of gloves a yeah. lot of sweaty heads at the end of the day and a lot more artificial feeding at the moment but wow. we've adapted and we'll get through it oh no it's so good and I think I don't, I don't know if you ever get these but I've had a few people reach out especially uh now that students and things aren't aren't at university um I maybe get kind of two or three of these a, a, a month you know someone studying um either either undergrad level or you know thinking about looking at a degree and things and people are asking about careers and nutrition so it's really good if people do find this and and you are listening and you're studying and you're thinking about what to do and you want to work in nutrition it's nice to shine a, a light on um you know being a dietitian and and what you do and how it works and like you said um it's it's there's 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 a lot of uh, strands to it isn't there so it's it's something that yeah. people can hopefully and take away it can away. be so rewarding you know don't be put off by the idea that it's all hospital based you know you can be a dietitian and work in communities and work in care homes yeah. and outpatients as a gp dietitian you know there's so many options yeah definitely consider it as a 
Korea. Amazing. Cool. All right. We'll finish on that note, lovely people. Look, thanks for listening. Uh, follow Fran's foodie page. I'll put the food facts on the BDA. It's something I go on to a lot. It's really handy and easy to digest as well. You just can kind of one click download all that jazz. So, um, yeah, have, have a healthy week. Look after yourselves. Continue to socially distance. And if you like the show, just share it with someone. Cheers.